Welcome, everyone. This is Mia Ferraletto, publisher of New Observations magazine. I am delighted to have Richard Fox joining us here today. Uh, Richard is a friend and uh, colleague and inspiration in terms of my work on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Um, and we uh, have connected through Henry Redcloud and um, part of what you're, you will hear is the, about the work that Richard is doing with Henry and Red Cloud Renewable Energy. Uh, welcome, Richard. Well, thanks, man. It's good to, good to hear your voice and get a chance to talk to some of our, uh, our friends, your, your old friends and my new friends. <laughs> well, um, I'm sure the audi- our audience is very much interested in hearing what you have to say. Your life has been fascinating in terms of uh, your connection to the environment and your spiritual life. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about your your background and the founding of uh, Trees Water People? I was born at an early age, and uh, and as part of that, uh, I grew up being who I am, but. I came into this life, as we all do, with uh, lots of strings into the past and ancestors and thoughts and karma and all kinds of things. So uh, early on, I was into metaphysical things. Uh, By the time I was in eighth grade, I recognized that I was going to have a spiritual path. But what's a New Jersey boy in eighth grade know about spiritual path? So I uh, I entered the seminary and uh, did, uh, you know, graduated from uh, a seminary in New Jersey, Presbyterian Seminary. Uh, I did kind of get over that, though, in a, in a big way, and moved on and got my degree also in philosophy and psychology uh, and uh, kind of stepped away from the religious side of things and moved more so into the spiritual side of things. Uh, so I was on my way to my uh, my master's degree, you know, with with a fellow out of UC Davis on altered states of consciousness. Amazingly enough, in 1971, I think it was, when I, I was stopping off um, – at places along the way, and, and I stopped off in Mexico for a while and ended up in El Paso and met some uh, wonderful man, a good friend of mine, Jim Smart, and uh, he introduced me to New Mexico where I became enchanted. Uh, a New Jersey boy suddenly was in the middle of a 20 million acre forest, uh, open lands, uh, and uh, I started to, you know, work in the forest, and, and I was part of the founding of, a, of Cottage Industries, uh, an organization that uh, did tree planting. And uh, forestry, other forestry work, chainsaw work, uh, trails, all kinds of things. For 18 years, we became the biggest cooperative, uh, forestry cooperative in the Rocky Mountains. So anyway, so all through that, it was a, an amazing time. Uh, it was good timing, good karma, good things that we were doing, planting trees, um, you know. And uh, we were able to draw upon a, a lot of different people and bring them into the woods, and, and there was a lot of tree planting in those days. We were particularly good at it. We had a good attitude and relationship to taking care of Mother Earth, uh, and uh, because of that, we grew uh, and had over two, 250 people. That, that was our gene pool of people that might work for us over these 18 years, uh, but we also made a lot of money. Uh, we made a lot of money because every individual person, every man, woman, and well, anyway, the men and the women, we're making significant amounts of money planting trees and doing other forestry work. And um, 
so was the company. So we ended up having a, a, a farm, an organic farm in Arizona uh, that I managed for several years. And uh, we also had uh, a Healing Light Foundation, the uh, holistic health side of our, our organization. So because the, the tree planting was making significant amounts of money, we were able to do a lot of interesting things like bring in teachers. And we had a, a community outreach program where we worked with uh, six or eight of the alternative communities of the day in the 70s. Uh, Lama Foundation, you know, the uh, Clearwater community, Healing Waters, Healing Light. Uh, and so we ended up uh, being able to hire these teachers using the tree planting money to meet us at one of these alternative communities as, I, as we worked our way north, uh, tree planting every spring. And so we had all kinds of teachers on many subjects, had many people who worked with us for many, many years. Uh, we were together for 18 years, so uh, it became a, a big deal uh, to uh, have that momentum and that, that history of doing dozens and dozens of free workshops. We opened them up to everybody and uh, paid for it at the tree planting money. So uh, among other things, we, we then, you know, there was a point where forestry, I was getting older, I'd done it for 18 years, uh, moving on to other things, you know, I had planted 28, uh, the, the organization had planted 28 million trees. Uh, wow. You know, and I'll tell you, after after 22 million trees, the 23rd is not quite as exciting <laughs> as you know, the first few. So we did it. We made a lot of money. and uh, But eventually I knew I wanted to get on to other things. And I, I went into, uh, I had a, a, a young fellow, uh, Louis Neeland, uh, famous, comes from a famous Tennessee family. And uh, he was building his business up as part of our operation on the East Coast. And he, he invited me. He was a good friend of mine. I had brought him into the business. And he invited me to come to Washington, D.C. And he would pay me full time if I would work for him half time. And the other half of the time, he would support my efforts to work in any way I wanted to in Washington, D.C. As, as a volunteer, as a nonprofit. He knew that I needed Well, to what an nonprofit. ideal situation that is. <laughs> He was a um, wonderful human being in his own way. We're just going to stop here for a moment to um, take care of our first commercial break, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So um, during this time period, Richard, you were spending enormous amounts of time uh, out in the wilderness, living in the forest, connecting with nature. Exactly correct. It was an incredible time. I I've often said I would have signed the indentured servant papers to be able to live and, and work in the woods. Uh, the fact that they paid me was tremendously good, uh, but I would have done it anyway. You know, it, 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 I think in America, there's been many, many forces of nature, and uh, they're everywhere, and they always will be. But I think as we took down the forests and got rid of the wild areas, a, a lot of very powerful entities uh, got pushed into the forests, the remaining forests. And the fact that we were able to uh, work, like I say, for 18 years in 17 different states uh, and every national forest, every large forest within a thousand miles of my home I've, I've worked and lived in. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a great opportunity. Well, I know our audience would love to hear about um, your interest and involvement in uh, the Druidic uh, tradition. And I, I just have to comment, 
about the the entities and the energies being moved uh, as a result of all the cutting down of the trees and so forth, because uh, from personal experience, going out to South Dakota and Pine Ridge, um, the 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 energy there is so profound and it's indescribable as soon as you you know approach that area you can feel the energy connecting and building and um it it's it, the most extraordinary thing that i can think of that's happened personally for me um the first time that i drove from santa fe new mexico up to the pine ridge reservation mm, that would be quite the journey i my oldest daughter was born in Santa Fe. It's a powerful, beautiful place. You know, when, when we lived in New Mexico, it, uh, we had the opportunity for the first time to uh, to work in the forest, and, and not, but just not work in the forest, but live in the forest. And then that went on year after year. We built uh, many other people into the operation. Uh, we ended up doing, like I said, 28 million trees. We did 4 million acres of forest inventory, lots of chainsaw work, trails, just about anything we could have done. Uh, and, and, and during that time, you know, I, for those 18 years, I lived outdoors most of the year for most of those 18 years, you know, periods of time, having kind of a home life, but mostly out in the woods as much as I could. And you're right, there's, there's a huge amount of powerful entities that live out there that still exist out there. Uh, likewise, uh, you know, when we get into the, the Druidry side of things, uh, there's the stones, the, the standing stones. Uh, they're, they're very similar in the sense that uh, one uh, avenue of thought about why Druids have standing stones, I, I should tell you that story because it's, 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 it's interesting and powerful, that long time ago, you know, people got together and celebrated life and they, they would dance and they were very primitive people and they would dance and then eventually kind of a, 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 a kind of a, a, a metaphysical side of the society happened and people are observing what's going on and, and feeling the energies as, as, as humans and dancing and dancing for thousands of years. And uh, they, they eventually realized that the dancing was creating kind of a vortex of energy above the dancers, you know, and, and, and these early, early, what would become one day Druids figured out how to transfer that energy out into the trees through ceremony and they put it into those trees and in those places where they were meeting and uh, uh, and then every time people would come back the next year or the next ceremony to dance and have ceremony that energy would be there and it would put on a different layer and then every year they would put on more and more layers uh, and then they realized that, that this went on for like thousands of years so trees die and then they, they realized that they were onto something big and powerful uh, a linkage, a way to link the ancestors with the current people and, and create a message to the future through the stones. So they say since the trees, even the, the mighty oaks, which are sacred to the, uh, the Druids, you know, they, they died. And so these big, they put in, you know, if you ever think about how much time and effort went into places like Stonehenge to get to there and put them in the right places, et cetera. It was a big deal that went on for a long time. And the Druids learned to, to put power into those rocks, you know, and put power into those rocks. And uh, so and then Christianity happened. And uh, many of the powerful forces got moved around on the planet. You know, the, the cross came in one hand and the sword in the other. 
and many people conquered, including, in some ways, the early Druids, and and also the city, the the, the fairy folk, you know. And, and the legend goes is that they went into those rocks as well, the Standing Stones. I was uh, several years ago. I was in in Ireland uh, with the Arch Druid of Ireland, Con Connors. He took us out to the remaining stone circle that has not been trinketized by the government, turned into a, a tourist attraction. But this particular stone circle, Logur, was uh, in a farmer's field, and he let the Druids camp there, including myself in this particular case. And uh, we uh, had the dark moon ceremony that night because it was the solstice, and longest day is also the shortest night so the dark moon ceremony at night and then solstice ceremony in the morning and i had the opportunity to dance in that circle uh as we know i'm a fire dancer and uh, i've been one and a fire druid for many many years and uh, while i was there i couldn't light up and didn't want to but uh, uh but i was able to dance within that circle and just feel that energy and pull that energy into me all those ancestors, thousands of years of dancing, all those vortexes of energy right there, right there. So That must have been an extraordinary experience for you. It was. I was so pleased. I brought my staff, even if I couldn't light it, I was able to bring the the fire spirits in, in you know, at an ethereal level, if nothing else, and and provide that fire and that energy. Waking up the grandfathers in those stones, you know, as we often do in the, in sweat lodges and uh, you know why uh, i can't go into a lot of details about sweat lodge stuff but uh, it's not mine to say but but i will say i've tended a lot of you know fires and uh, you know part of that sweat lodge uh, thing is waking up those grandfather rocks bringing them in putting them heating them up they need to be warm in order to kind of wake up and sit up and think and be there with you so you put you put them in this sweat lodge those big rocks they your grandfather's and you're inside this dark structure this womb and you're rebirthing yourself every time you go on the sweat lodge you know and you have the grandfathers there and and you have that symbology of of the of the dark womb and, and oftentimes with the native americans they they start having that drum in the back and i, I can't do it right. very well because I'm, I'm a rock and roller so about 10 seconds <laughs> Anyway, they don't let me have the drumsticks anymore. But uh, you hear that mother, you know, the, the, that music of the Native Americans is, is steady in, in a, a single beat because it's the heartbeat of Mother Earth. It is the heartbeat of your mother. The first sound you ever heard as a human being was your mother's heart in the background. Just playing. Totally true. You know, totally anyway. true. Just a matter of how you wake up the rocks. And, and in the Druid tradition, we have our standing stones. Uh, I, I recommend to everybody, you know, people have lost their the knowledge of a lot of the old ways, but the old ways are there. The power is still there. You just have to figure out ways to go there and, and touch it and be part of it. Be there alone. Be there with people. Be there in ceremony. Power places are still powerful. You just have to get out to it. And, and I was fortunate that, you know, we planted trees all those years. And uh, I talked about getting en enchanted in uh, New Mexico, the land of enchantment. And part of it, here's an example of how you get enchanted. So 
when we planted trees, we would start in southern New Mexico. We would plant trees with the spring. And the, the, the spring came in the mountains when we were far south. It came up over a two to three week period. The tree planting was basically that amount of time. <laughs> My dogs are wrestling. And, uh, oh, I hear them, yeah. Yeah, I'll shut that door. Uh, but uh, so we would plant trees, and then, and then after two or three weeks, while spring had come, we would then uh, head a little further north in New Mexico or Arizona. And because we had gone a couple hundred miles north, uh, it was springtime again, early spring. And we'd go up in the mountains, and while we were there planting trees, it would be uh, a time for spring to happen. And then we would go to northern New Mexico and southern Colorado and middle Colorado and northern Colorado and southern Wyoming and maybe South Dakota. And we would watch, you know, the uh, spring coming six or seven times. Uh, and then after you do that for like 10 years and you've seen 60 spring times happen in 10 years, you kind of get this whole Rip Van Winkle thing happening, you know? Anyway. Absolutely. And a, a deeper understanding. Um, we're going to pause here for our second break. Um, it's the last break of the interview and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Richard, I, I um, understand from my personal research that um, in Dru Druidic tradition that um, the teachings are not written down. It's an oral tradition. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this because um, it seems to me from from my personal experience that all of the knowledge that we need, we can find in inside ourselves if we just listen. And it, all the time you spent out in the forest and in nature um, would have provided countless hours for you to listen to the trees, listen to the water, listen to the rocks. Indeed, I spent a lot of time next to creeks, particularly, but but also, you know, in the middle of a, a, a time when you're in the woods, it snows, you're in there for five or six days, you've got lots of time, you're healthy, you've got good gear, you go out and sit on, a, on the side of a hillside, you know, where maybe the sun kind of opened up a little area, and you're sitting there in this huge part of the forest with nothing to do for the next 15 hours. <laughs> so you do, you get a chance to listen, you get a chance to talk to the birds, you get, a list, you get to look for patterns. You begin to understand and, and feel those energies and also allow them to feel you uh, because uh, we as Druids used to be friends. We used to have a relationship and, uh, you know, and danced and, cere and ceremony, and, uh, but we've become civilized as a society and in that we've lost uh, touch with many of the old ways. And again, they're there. And, and you mentioned, you know, like we just need to listen to ourselves, but I think it's more complicated than that. It's not just listen, it's sorting through. It's There's a labyrinth between us and everything we want to accomplish in life. And, and certainly spiritual things are like that too. And you can get there, you can, but you have to kind of struggle through the understanding of things. Um, and that takes some time. Like you say, it doesn't happen overnight. Well, firsthand experience um and developing a, a kind of a compass to determine what's true, what's accurate for ourselves, because obviously we're all on our own individual journeys, um, is, is such an important part of it. 
and spending long stretches of time in solitude or with a small number of people, I, I would think that you're providing a framework to get, you know, to get, to obtain access more quickly than if you're living in the middle of New York City, for instance. It's certainly a different experience and, and different learning. You know, I, I'm a New Jersey boy originally. I understand cities and have, certainly enjoy them, but there's no doubt for me it makes better sense to, to have more open space. I still live at the base of the Rocky Mountains so that I've got a, 100 miles of open space just right behind me, and, and that keeps those corridors like wildlife corridors, except they're really wildlife <laughs> corridors that allows things to come down from the mountains. Occasionally we have a, uh, you know, a mountain lion, but there's all kinds of corporeal and non-corporeal entities that have the ability to kind of use these corridors to kind of visit these parts of the world and do. And, uh, and then of course there's the forest themselves. There's a hundred miles of forest just right above them. And then, as you know, I, I also go out to South Dakota quite a bit. It's 300 miles away, but it's just six hours away, and I can uh, make it out to Henry Red Cloud. I, uh, I've worked with Henry since 2003, uh, and uh, he started one of the only uh, 100% renewable energy companies in America. Uh, he is the great-great-grandson of Mapialuta, the last war chief of the Lakota Sioux, and um, him and I worked together, like I say, for the last 17 years, done a lot of projects together, done a lot of good. And uh, he's one of the greatest orators I've ever known. And uh, he comes from this very powerful family. Uh, and he's been uh, working with his family and, and working with his tribes, uh, many tribes. Uh, uh, we've worked with over 50 tribes here in the last uh, 10 years. And But there's 567 tribes. So we're trying to get out there to help other tribes with uh, renewable energy training, sustainable building training, and that has solar. And, um, you know, we we put in a big 20-kilowatt array for Keeley Radio, uh, the, the voice of the Lakota Nation, in order to help them continue to put out Native voices into the world, especially now in the time of climate change. We need to hear more Native voices. And that was the thing that we could do, the 20 kilowatts of solar there for them. And then this June, we're doing 22 and a half kilowatts uh, for the Pine Ridge Girls School. And uh, that's something we're seeking some funding for. If anybody wants to help us with that, that would be really good uh, because we uh, are getting ready to not only put this electricity up there and lower their bills for the next 20, 30 years, uh, but also to involve the girls themselves. You know, these uh, young girls become tomorrow's Lakota women, you know, uh, elders and mothers and just people who are out there. And so we have a, a big effort to involve women in, in the renewable energy fields and, and into the sustainable building trades um, and, and do that through a variety of ways, including uh, some of our new programming that actually offers certification. Uh, we have a course with Solar Energy International that allows us to uh, not only train uh, professional level tribal solar technicians, but also have them take their national uh, NAPSEP test and get certified as a solar installer. So that's a real powerful program that we're working on right now to get more Native Americans certified uh, and, and out there doing projects within their own areas. Uh, Henry started Red Cloud Renewable, and I work with him as part of that nonprofit. And uh, uh, we have a focus on about 37 tribes 
that are across the great northern plains, uh, Wyoming, Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota, uh, Minnesota, a little bit of Nebraska. Um, but across that area, we work with a lot of tribes trying to get them to become uh, energy independent before mainstream America. That's one of Henry's goals and one I certainly support every day. So, uh, you know, we're doing a lot for Native Americans, but there's so much more we can do. There's 567 tribes. We haven't even hit 10% of the tribes yet. So uh, we're really looking to expand and grow uh, the types of things that we can do. Uh, for instance, this year we're going to be planting another 28,000 trees. We've planted about 135,000 trees so far uh, up there. This year we're going out to Bear Butte. Um, the sacred uh, vision quest area for the Lakota and the Crow and others. Um, and they had a fire through there and they've asked us to come and, and help plant those trees. So we're going to be bringing out uh, a, a lot of people from different tribes. We're all going to go out there and spend a weekend at the end of May and June. And, uh, you know, if anybody wants to come, they should contact me. Maybe you can come work and plant some trees with us out there. That's, be a very a, that's fantastic. Yeah, it would be a very unusual opportunity, believe me. Um, absolutely. I, I've seen uh, Henry has taken me to, to see where you've planted trees, uh, and I, I helped raise a little bit of the, uh, funding for the Keeley Radio Station project. I seen firsthand the incredible work that you and Henry are doing on Pine Ridge where the need is so great. Um, people can't understand um, the quality of life in, some, in the material sense on Pine Ridge and, until they've actually been there. And um, it's, it's unconscionable in a, a country as wealthy as the United States uh, that this type of challenge exists every day for Lakota families. It's, it's not acceptable. I I'm agree. curious to know. Good. Uh, yeah, it's, I know how dedicated you are. Um, I'm curious to know as a Druid, when you're out, planting trees um, by yourself or with a group of people, how you call on the elementals and the energies there. Certainly at Bear Butte, the, you know, the entities are uh, <laughs> living. Well, and, and question, Mia. I, I got you. Uh, if, if you and I were out in the woods and we were planting trees, we'd probably hang out with each other and talk and share some water and, and do things, right? I mean, we'd be friends and we'd be out in the woods and, and that's kind of, you know, it's not so much as calling them up as that they're there. Underneath my feet, there is something pushing back every time I push down on the earth, you know. And every time I plant a tree, all those other buddies that I've made for decades are there singing their song. And I get to hear some of those songs. It's it's some of the most beautiful things I could possibly tell you, you know, to be out there. But it's not as much calling them up as they're there and I'm there. And because we're friends, we communicate and we share some water and we share a song and, and we plant trees. So that's it. You, you, you feel that you're communicating. I, I know um, myself during the time that I was living in Wasta, South Dakota, sitting at my desk, publishing my magazine, 
I would look out the window and and the residency program, which I'm now creating, co-creating with my partners, uh, Larry and Adelaide Fuss, um, was pushing itself up out of the earth. I've never had the experience where a project was pushing, wanting to be born. But you, um, with your capacity as, as a Druid and as a leader within your community, when you're out, um, are you not more actively engaged in this process? Are you not um, going further with your intentions and your purpose and your, and your thought and your own personal energy? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, it's the same thing as, again, if we were out in the woods and we had a chance to talk day in and day out, I'd learn a lot from you, you know. And, and I know that all humans have a certain parameter of what we know, but other earth spirits, you know, have different parameters of what they know. And therefore, when we're together, that sharing happens and you learn and you understand things in a different way. You, you learn how to talk with the birds and how to talk with the wind and have them respond and, and be your friends. And, 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 you know, they, they used to be with us a lot. They remember, they remember the old dancing and they remember the old Druids and they remember how people used to be, you know, when everybody lived with nature. Right. And so they have an interest too. It's like, what happened? Where'd you guys go? Yeah. So, Oh, they absolutely have an interest, and they're chatterboxes. Um, you know, they, <laughs> they want to they want to communicate with us. They, you know, they want to interact with us, um, and it's it's an extraordinary feeling after moving to upstate New York up from you know my days of living in Manhattan for eighteen years. Um, I had numerous. Uh, close connections with a number of birds from different species. And the first spring I was there, a robin built her nest on, on my front porch. And I watched her um, give birth to, to two groups of babies. And when she first landed, every day I'd walk outside and she'd poop all over the porch. And finally one day I went outside and um, – said, I'm really getting tired of cleaning up after you. I'm thrilled that you're here and I want you to stay, but you have to stop pooping on the front porch. And she did. <laughs> and, oh. um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've, I've written on this very topic, you know, on the concept of the difference between magic and science. I've really got a great treatise on it. And basically it comes down to that. When the difference between science and magic is that you, when you're dealing with elementals and when you're dealing with other creatures, they have to agree to what you're asking. That's volition. In, in science, they're lighting, you know, the, the property of propane is the light when you put an action next to it. And we'll always do that. There's not a choice, so to speak. But with that bird, she had a choice. And then the magic happened because she, you asked and she agreed. Well, not only that, I told all of my friends the story and they all had birds of different species pooping on their patios or, you know, doing similar things in various places. And my friends all went back to their houses and asked their birds to not do whatever it was that they were doing. And every single one of them co cooperated. 
That's so that's, that, that's a good statement in terms of their desire to be friendly to us as well. I, I have absolutely found entities out in the woods, uh, wild coyotes and bears and horses and you know wind spirits and fire spirits. Uh, as, as you know, uh, these days I identify as kind of a fire druid, and I do a lot of fire dancing. Uh, and it's it's always fascinating for me, part of fire dancing, and I've done this since 1965. I'm probably the oldest professional fire dancer in the world. But uh, uh, you, when you're dancing, you're, the fire is singing to you. It's literally a song, and it's people who are a little further away don't hear the flame as much. But for us who are dancing, you not only have the visual of the flame and the heat and the ent- entityness of it all, but, but you have this song that's happening and you know and, and then like i have a, a 10 headed uh fire staff called the dragon staff 10 heads of fire and when they sing it's kind of like a you know a, a little choir all singing together with with different versions of the same voice and and then when we have five or eight or 10 or 20 uh fire dancers together it's like this when you're dancing out there with people all these songs are happening all around you you can you feel the heat and you see the fire and you're with these people and you're in the flow Woo-hoo! fire dance must be unbelievable it, it's it's pretty unbelievable i still still love it. as a matter of fact we're getting ready to take another um, i think it's our 11th year of taking a fire performing team uh from colorado up to pine ridge uh, and they often help us with projects in this case the tree planting that we're doing up there, they're going to uh, come up and do that. So we'll, we'll have another opportunity to, to have a, a bunch of us dance with the big uh, powwow drum that the Lakota bring and then play for us. So it's kind of this cross-cultural thing where they're providing the beat and we're providing the fire dancing. It's wow. It's, so, you know, in terms of how I express myself as a druid, these are the reasons I do what I'm doing. And I like everything else, I work, you know, I, I'm push papers and call people and touch bases and build projects. But a lot of it's so, you know, you still get a chance to express my druidness in, in moments like this and in the things that I'm putting in my life. You know, that's what a lot of people have forgotten is that there's a lot of things you can do to put nature back in your life, whether it's just having a pet or, or whatever that means and or, or having plants or going out to a place and sitting outdoors there's all kinds of things you can do, even in the city. Uh, but the main thing is when you're in the, wherever you are, is to get out there and communicate with nature. You had asked the question earlier about, you know, uh, how everything's not written down in Druidry. And I think the key there, and probably the original intent, though I certainly don't know, um, is that they wanted to make sure that uh, it was all about the relationship with nature. It wasn't something you could write down. People get lost in these ceremonies, and I love ceremonies. I'm, I'm, I've participated in many, many ceremonies, and I love them. At the same time, I can also see where they can become rope, you know, turn this way, do that, have this incense. You know, it's all good, but by themselves, they are a concentrator of your energy and your will. It helps you to concentrate, but in itself, what are you concentrating on? You have to choose there, you know, and so having the relationship with nature, we it's not like nature's over there and we're over here. We came. We are from oh, We are other. part of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and in that sense, it's us reconnecting with the things that we always knew. But like I say, it's not always as op, uh, you know obvious 
uh, and, and it's hard to understand a lot of the things that happen to us. It's one of the things I asked uh, Whitley in terms of uh, he at the end of um, his book Communion, he said, this is our story. And, and now I'm going to tell you something. I don't know if this is a true story, but this is our experience of it. And no matter what's happening, maybe it's beyond our minds to understand what we're experiencing because we don't have a context where it is so different and so powerful, but something is happening. And is it this? I don't know if it's exactly like how we presented all this, but it is that, but it's also more than that. So, you know, anyway, I just want to kind of share that moment. Well, I, I agree with you. And I think um, for people like you and me and others, you know, others who are um, connected intuitively to all of this, the information that we are given, um, not only from the elemental kingdom, but, you know, the animal kingdom, the angelic kingdom, the ETs, we're part of this woven fabric of of consciousness and we're sending and receiving um, information continually but to just um, not put a judgment on it and and be receptive um, makes an enormous amount of difference. And um, to just be willing to, to ask if there's something that we need or a question we want answered, to just be able to put the question out to the universe and know that the guidance will come back um is a is a very powerful tool that I think people more and more are becoming uh, aware of yeah and uh, you know I think that's been the core of uh, most religions going back in time right is is wanting to uh, you know ha- have a, a way to understand the rest of the universe you know through God and in our case uh, and, and, and want these things we want positive results from our prayers and our invocations to God, but many people now are looking at the universe and trying to have a different concept of what God may or may not be, or goddesses and gods and as elements of force of, of nature, you know, and so we're all trying to kind of figure out uh, how to get those positive results back. Now, today we understand more about karma, we understand that karma is the driver through the universe, and it gets to, we, we get to steer with our karma, the actions that we do. We put them in front of us, and then we pull ourselves through the universe to those places that we made. So, anyway. And also, um, when we're at peace with ourselves, we become the center of our own universe. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah. The, we become um, kind of instant manifestors of of what um, what is needed at any given moment um, because we are in communion. There's there's that word communion again, but we are in communion um, oh, yeah. with what's around us. Yeah, and when you're in the flow, when you're hearing the songs of the nature and all it's not just something you think about. You recognize and feel that union. You're hearing it happen. You're, you're hearing the music of the spheres. You know, you're hearing 
all the living life, which is everything around you, singing their their life song. Yeah. And and by the way, I, I, had, I wanted. To, go ahead. No, you you finish up what you were going to say. Well, I was going to say big kudos to you, by the way, for your artists in residence program. I think that's going to be so powerful and so good. I, I'm I'm so excited to see uh, having people, artists, and people who are trying to be artists come from all over the world and and then experience Pine Ridge. It's a power center. You know, it's where the Lakota, they came out into this, they're star people. They came out onto this planet in Wind Cave, just right there. And you have the Badlands there. And you have, the, 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 there's so much beauty in that part of the world. They'll be blown away at just how powerful of a place it is and, and how that's going to be like the drum is for us when we're fire dancing. It will, it will give us, it will give them the beat. Uh, the energy to kind of guide their their art, you know. So I'm I'm really looking forward. I'm really glad you did that. Uh, thank you, Richard. I I completely agree with you. And what's been so interesting about the two conferences that I've organized, the first one in Vermont and the second this past July on Pine Ridge, is the people who've come have gone back and within a very short period of time transformed their lives. They you know, took the the experience and the energy that they uh, connected with throughout the weekend and then let go of what didn't work, let in more of what is working. And, of course, you know, the artists uh, and the writers are the visionaries of our culture. So to bring them to South Dakota to have this experience and then go back and do their creative work. It's all part of the process of um, regeneration that we're all working so hard to shepherd in and restore the balance in the world. Well said, well said. And and I know you know we share that uh, that goal and that joy of, of of finding a way to help Native voices be heard when for so long they haven't been heard very much. And, uh, you know, through your artwork, those voices will be out there in a way they hadn't been before. And, and by many of the things that we're doing, you know, with, with Henry at Red Cloud Renewable, uh, uh, there's, there's new ways that voices are getting out there. Uh, we want more and more Native people to be part of the cutting edge of, of combating uh, climate change and trying to do the right stuff. And we're giving them the skills that they can do that. And we're going to give a... You know, a big shout out to all the NATO people who are who are going to help us in the next twenty years to understand you know, the circumstances that we find ourselves within. Well, you've participated um, in the next issue of New Observations, which is uh, coming out in May on the Pine Ridge Reservation, and um, we are featuring the the paintings of Leonard Peltier and we've done a Q&A session with Leonard um which his lawyers have approved and the gallery at the art center in Wasta will be exhibiting Leonard's paintings in in tandem with the uh publication of the magazine uh Chase Iron Eyes is is writing a piece on Pine Ridge um Chase is one of the leaders from Standing Rock and the Water Protectors uh, movement up there against the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline and a number of other uh, people involved on Pine Ridge will be uh, contributing to the issue. Um, A wonderful artist 
from Poland was part of the Whitney Biennial in 2012. And she actually hung um, a painting of Leonard's in in the Whitney Museum next to her work. Uh, her name is Joanna Malinowska. And she teaches sculpture up at Cornell University. But she hung one of Leonard's paintings next to her own installation with a sign that's, that said, this painting was made by Leonard Peltier. His work should be here. He should be here, but he's in, in prison. And um, so to have, you know, a major museum, American Museum, the Whitney Museum of American Art, not including um, work by Native Americans is, is another factor that we need to change. Um, so yeah, well, a lot, a lot of things are in the work. Uh, you know, we uh, we actually uh, uh, worked with his son. Actually, his son Paul Shields is he has two sons, Chauncey and uh, Paul Shields. And Paul worked for us for many years uh, in our uh, renewable energy projects. Uh, and we actually did a compressed earth block house, three bedroom house that we built, and uh, did many workshops along the way, teaching skills. And uh, then we gave that house over to uh, Paul and his family. So, uh, you know, that was... Henry shown me the house, um, taking yeah. me to see it. It's great. Well, you've you got to pick things that you can do in your life that put goodness in the world. There's, there's plenty of people out there doing badness. There's plenty of value that people see in making money doing terrible things. Uh, so we got to figure out ways to put more good things in the world. And that's why I'm your friend. I, I enjoy that you are also putting good things in the world. And, and in doing so, you are a counterbalance to many of the bad things that are out there. And hopefully we can build up a momentum enough to really make planetary change. That's our goal, right? Um, it is our goal. And I, I do think, um, I do think we can do it. I think collectively and and all of the openings that are happening within consciousness and all the other kingdoms you know it's not just us man is not alone um we're all moving towards the goal of creating goodness that's our mandate that's why we're born that's right that's well said you know that's my version <laughs> all our relations all our relations are it's it's more like we're all related. You know, it's just that acknowledgement that it isn't just us. It's the wind spirits and the fire spirits and it's the, the rivers and the kids and the black people and the white people and the green people and the Jewish people and, you know, people of every stripe plus everything else that's out there. Yeah, it's all, it's all life. It's all, it's all living things. I had the extraordinary experience when I moved from my house in upstate New York to have all of the um, animals come out to say goodbye. The, the last week I was there, I had a huge beaver colony across the road, and um, the mothers would let me get within five feet, five, six feet of their babies while they were eating by the side of the wetlands, and um, the snapping turtle let me pick her up so I could see her 
beautiful pearl egg and the blue herons uh, came and sat with me and, and the one that I was closest to actually sat with me for an hour and a half in the morning and then came back that afternoon and swooped down maybe 10 feet above my head and circled my head and took off. But it was the most amazing experience because they all came out to say goodbye. And um, it, it was like the culmination of, of so many interactions that I'd had during the nine years that I lived there with, you know, this extraordinary group of animals uh, that lived in the, in the area. And, um, and you were you know, one of them, it, the kind person you weren't eating. And I was one of them. I was one of the animals yeah. living in the area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that, that whole concept there is based upon a concept in Sanskrit they call ahimsa, harmlessness. You know, right. when, they, when they recognize, that, first of all, that you're harmless, and then they can figure out whether they like you. But first they have to determine that you're not going to eat them or hurt them or, you know. And when they do, then suddenly they're they're curious, you know, and they want to come out and communicate. Yeah, it was it was an extraordinary experience for me, particularly after eighteen years in Manhattan. But yeah, I'm I, understand. A, I I did I did uh, twenty one in New Jersey, you know, when I was growing up. So uh, leaving and being out in an area with a lot of open space, in my case, in New Mexico. That's how I became enchanted. And then when they gave me a chance to live and make money working out there, it was a no-brainer. You know, I was I was ready. Um, do you have anything specific in terms of your thoughts about all these fires that are happening all over the world? I would say that there's a pretty good chance that it will only get worse. So mostly what I want to say, and and that we just have to be prepared that that was a, a warm-up, so to speak. And I think we're going to see a lot of other types of catastrophes pop up uh, and and show us the disturbance in the force, so to speak. You know, we've disturbed the patterns, and these patterns took a long time to be created. And we, you know, we, we mess with these patterns uh, at our own risk. You know, we've had long periods of time, tens of thousands of years, where things shift this way or that way. We've had a particularly sweet time on this planet so far as a species, but it can change at any moment. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, I would say this, though. You know, I, I think you know one of the reasons I've uh, planted so many trees. I uh, I worked with my my friends at Trees Water and People and. Help plant another several million trees with them, and now with Henry, uh, planting trees is a big thing. We're going to lose a lot. We need to keep on planting them. Figure out ways not to plant 50 or 100, though that's good. You know, every 50 and 100 is good, but we got to figure out how to plant 100 million trees. You know, how do we plant a million trees over here? How do we bring large sums of money and actually make a difference, and then get people connected? One of the things we do when we plant these trees with these native youth, most of them are youth, not all but a lot of them are, and they get out there, and for the first time, they're actually doing something positive and good and, and real and physical to, you know, make their reservation a, a better place, and they, they understand that. They understand that they're planting trees for the next seven generations and that they're doing something for their grandkids. And when you're out there, that's the only commonality I've known all those years of planting trees is that at the end of the day, you feel good that you did it. 
Well, well, you mentioned this. I totally agreed. And you you mentioned the seven seven generations. I've heard Henry speak numerous times on we are in the time of the seventh generation. Would you like to say something about that? Well, you know, there are many ways people always ask, as, as do I, you know, which seven generations is starting when, you know, but, but like there's people who remind you of the fact that something is going to take seven generations to, uh, to change, to recover, perhaps. I know Mapialuta, uh, Henry's great-great-grandfather, you know, was supposedly prophesied that, uh, that it would take seven generations for Lakota to kind of get over this cultural, whatever it is, cultural uh, problem that they had between non-natives and natives, it takes seven generations and that when they came back, you know, from when they recovered from that, it would be because they had taken the, the good things, the goodness in the pale-skinned people and the goodness of the Lakota and made something new happen you know, that created something new and good in the world. And, and really, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're doing. You know, we're, we're out there every day supporting each other, trying to do good things, put new things into the world, bring forth those, those voices that we've been so missing for so many years, these native voices that still have that connection, that, that still hear the, the heartbeat of, of Mother Earth. You know, we need to get their voices out. And that's where we are today. Yep, you sure are. And we're excited. We've got so many good things going on uh, between tree planting and solar installations and training. Uh, we, we hope, you know, some of you folks out there in the audience, come on, come visit us. Come, we got a, a Sacred Earth Lodge can house 23 people. Bring your group out. Hang out with us. You know, we're, we're there. It's easy to find us. We're at, you know, www.redcloudrenewable.com. That O-R-G. That's singular. Redcloudrenewable.org. And come visit us. You can contact me through there. It's easy enough to do. I'm Richard at redcloudrenewable.org. Send me an email. I'd like to hear from you. Come on out. See what we're doing. Be part well, of we'll it. definitely um, include all of that contact information with this interview, Richard, so that everyone will know how to get a hold of you. And um, just, just also, um, briefly share Henry's um, doctorate, honorary doctorate, which he just received. Was it last week? And the fact That's that right. he's a, about to receive his feather bonnet. That's true. He's uh, he's soon to become uh, a chief of the Lakota tribe. Uh, you know, and I know they're they're making a bonnet for him now, and they'll be they'll be giving it to him in the months ahead. Amazing! That's wonderful. He deserves it. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of good things happening right now. We're we're so excited. Uh, with any luck, maybe the political uh, winds will, of change will come in and and push the pendulum back in a in a good direction for uh, climate change efforts. Uh, even if they don't, we're we're poised to do great things, keep on expanding. Uh, but with any luck, we could see an amazing thing happen here next year. So let's let's plan on that happening. Let's make that happen, and uh, you know. Let's, let's look forward to doing some good things. I'm, I'm really happy about your artist program. Like I said, that's going to be a really good thing to have in place, something new and different, combining the Native American you know, culture and the goodness of those Lakota with some of the goodness of our people. 
man, you're going to make something new and good happen in the world. That's good. Yeah, I'm, That's really I'm excited. Good. It'll be fun. Yeah, It'll be fun collaborating with you. Yeah, I look forward to that. I'll be up there. You know, I'm up there fairly regularly. Be more than happy to stop on by, talk to people. You know, uh, spend some time. That'd be good. That's great. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today, and um, we will talk again. I look forward to it, as always, and uh, be safe out there.